G'day, good morning and welcome to Screaming Into the Abyss. I'm Ron Hutchinson and I'm coming with you today. We're doing an interview with a friend of mine, Tom, predominantly around recidivism and what it's like when you first come out of prison. Hey, Tom, how you doing today, mate? Yeah, mate, pretty good. So um, how long did you spend in prison, if you don't mind us asking? Let's start there. A few years. So it's a pretty long time. Fair step. Not as long as others. Yeah, fair step. Yeah. So I guess I'm going to hit you with one of the hard questions first. So I want you to take me back to when you first heard about your release date coming up. You know, what were the emotions? What were the state of mind? How did you feel when you knew that time was coming? It was like high anxiety because it's a culture shock going in. There's no preparation for your release, so you don't really know what's going to happen. You know what you've got to do, but you just don't know how it's going to play out. Like, you've got to get into your accommodation, you've got to see your settling with the first 24 hours. And that's craziness. Does that anxiety sort of ramp up as you get closer to the release date of when you get out? Oh, it's it's high straight away because you only get like twenty four hour notice that you've been released. Yeah, wow, that's not much to sort of plan anything or get anything in place, is it? No, no. Yeah, and um, so the resources you're given on your release—is there anything you know that they give you or, or to take care of you, point you in the right direction at least? There is a system in place. You'd be lucky to get anything because, yeah, they just don't have staff, don't have funding. It's more of the generous community of various charities and churches that that I got a bit of help with, a bit of food, a bit of guy to talk to, and drive me around. Yep. Other than that, you're pretty much on your own. So um, I guess you've only done time the once, which is, you know, great, brilliant. You don't want to be going back. But what were your expectations of being released before it happened? Like, did you think it was going to be very different to what it was? Oh, yeah. I thought that um, Thermalink wouldn't be an issue. But it was because the Queensland Corrections gave me identification paperwork to prove who I am, which is good on their part. But I took that same paperwork to Sillinink as ID and they rejected it. And it's like, hang on a minute, that's a legal document. Well, I thought it was anyway. Yeah, so the government department's not talking to each other so they don't understand or have the same expectations. Yeah. Yeah, no. They don't know how... Centrelink does not know how the Queensland Corrections work. Um, there's a, and then there's a few other government departments that don't know how they work either. So it's just a bit of a minefield. My license expired while I was inside, and, and they got rejected as identification. So I had to go to Queensland Transfer Department first and try and get that sorted out. I was lucky that off the easy going. They accepted the identification that I did have and I signed a honesty form with them. Yeah. 
Yeah. I guess one of the things which kind of uh, puzzles me with the system we've got is the fact that, so you came out, just to clarify, you came out under parole, that was correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so the the guys who've done full time, uh, they don't get the same support when they come out, do they? There's absolutely nothing for them. Nothing at all. They're lucky enough to have family, that's great, but otherwise it's left to charities and church. Yeah, I know um, the amount of guys who've done full-time I've met who are living and sleeping on the streets around Redcliffe and stuff is has been horrific. They just, yeah, they seem to just fall through the gaps. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it's not just Redcliffe, it's everywhere. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, you hear it. Um, so I've worked with a lot of guys on the streets and also people coming out of prison, but I hear stories all the time of... Someone who's released at six thirty, seven o'clock at night, and they're not allowed to stay another day because it would be, they'd be legal, illegally being detained. Yeah, that's a bit of a mouthful. But yeah, they'd be illegally being detained if they were kept beyond that point when they've done their full time. So they've had to release them late in the evening or, you know, to absolutely nothing, to the streets, and they've had no yeah. family or anything. Yeah. And that's sort of system that's failing, and... Even if the guys get out on time on parole and that, it's just absolute madness, lack of support. Yes, yeah, so and this is this is the reason why some of the guys just give up within the first couple of days and just do something stupid so they can go back in because they can't handle things already. Yeah, well, according to all the studies around criminology and stuff, those first two weeks are the critical time, where if someone's going to re-offend, it's usually in that short period of time after release. Yeah. But I guess that's probably the hardest time, too, to, to re-evaluate and get back into society. Yes, that's right. And you got to find your life again. you got to find yourself. You're expected to do more self-development work and there's lack of that as well some of the guys don't have any money to do that so they don't do it yeah and for some of the guys who've done you know a, a really long leg sort of thing so 10 years or whatever have come out and the culture shock must be shocking it, it'd probably be bad enough after two years but the way technology moves and you know everything it'd be like coming out into an alien world yeah and the thing with Link is that you're expected to start looking for work straight away. Because of my PTSD, I was lucky enough to have a month before I had to start looking look for work. But even then, that's a bit much for um, guys coming out of prison to start looking for work straight after. They still need to um, just calm down with the anxiety. They don't need that extra stress for a job straight away. If they're lucky enough to find a job, sure, but the culture shock getting out, it takes a while to adjust again. Yeah, that's a very good point, actually, because, you know, again, the studies around recidivism and things talk about the importance of having a job and how that will help keep you from reoffending. But there is that time where you're going to kind of acclimate back into the world. You know, if, if I think if you rush into that job too quickly, it could add additional stress opposed to helping you connect with community. That's right. Because if you enter into a high stressful job, you're going to be, um, yes, 
again with high anxiety. Yeah. And that's when uh, some of us start using drugs again because we can't calm ourselves down enough. Yeah, this is true. Are, are drugs huge in prison still? You know, uh, from what I hear and what I've seen, there's an immense amount of drugs in prison still. Would you say that's correct? Oh, that's so correct. Yeah, there's drugs everywhere. So yeah, so it doesn't help at all. So on top of this, if you're battling an addiction you've carried through, that would just, you know, amplify everything and make it so much worse. Yeah. 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 So, so we've looked at what your emotions were and what it was like once you first heard and you were facing release. And we, we talked briefly about what your expectations were. And I guess we've touched on this already, but what was the reality like when the rubber hit the road on your day of release? Can you walk us through that a little bit? Yeah, it was not what I was expected. The boarding house that I was in was filthy overcrowded. Yeah, I could not sleep because they were running drugs all night. And the police have to have a few checks, so they're constantly waking up everyone in the early hours of the morning for this uh, chance the police had to do it. They are banging on doors and waking you run up, making sure everyone's there. So it's just, it's pretty, so the opposite end of um, anxiety, it was really depressing. It's like, Oh my God, how, how do I get out of this boarding house and start wrenching again? It was a mammoth task for me to find how to live. Yeah, and um, I guess I've seen some of these boarding houses as well where I've been in them to visit some people, and, and one of them I remember very, very strongly. I think prison would have been nicer than the room actually it was um and that's saying something that you know you had your freedom yes but uh they'd ripped out all the bathrooms and stuff and put them under the house and these rooms they were renting out were more probably like a walking cupboard if that some of them didn't even have any windows you know that's so true yeah yeah it was and the thought did cross my mind to just do something stupid to break prog conditions so i can go back in yeah yeah it does cross your mind yeah, it's it's pretty glum thing to get released and to end up in a place like that. I guess uh, you, I know your story fairly well, and you know you had family and stuff and connection outside, which which is a golden thing, which really helps. But the guys who aren't facing that, the reality of it is that that's what their life's going to look like for the next six months to a year. You know, yeah, it's really got to you know, and and I guess you see it in the the mental health of these guys and the suicide rate and all of that, which goes hand in hand. I remember, was it last year in the Moreton Bay area, there was, I think it was about 13 suicides just in a couple of months coming into Christmas of guys coming out of prison. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, a very bleak yeah. look future. And that's where I think there needs to be a system in place and it needs to be done properly with people who generally care if that's possible. To help a person rebuild their lives from scratch, but that's what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> and you start all over again. You mentioned before about when you first get out, what you have to do. So, so you have to go to Centrelink, 
within the first 24 hours to your parole office to housing. That's uh, correct. Am I missing something? Or KFC? That's always important, right? Oh, mate. <laughs> Amongst all those things you've got to do, you've got to eat because you're so freaking hungry. And <laughs> yeah, the funny thing is, is that my support member took me to a huge shopping center. Yeah, walked into the middle of the food court. He asked me, "What would I like to eat?" Well, I couldn't make up my mind. I want it all. <laughs> yeah, he had to pretty much make the decision for me. And and that's the other thing we are not used to making decisions because 90% of the decisions inside are made for us. Oh, that's a good question. Actually, how many que- how many decisions would you make when you're inside in a day? That's all. <laughs> Two if you're lucky. Two if you're lucky, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You choose to behave yourself. That's the biggest one. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. that's how you get out, right? Yeah. Good yeah. behaviour. No, that's that's really interesting, and, and and it is so tough when you hear the guys when they're coming out and what they're faced with, particularly the perception of what they're going to deal with and the reality of it when it hits what they're facing. There we go. Sorry, the computer just died on me for a second. There we go. So, where were we? What was your... Ah, yeah, okay. So you're a Christian, so am I. I'm I'm the Reverend, so welcome, brother. But uh, one of the things which I find really fascinating too is inside the sense of Christianity, there's a real big Christ following. So, you know, what is God up to in behind the bars there? Oh, mate, he, he, um, oh, yeah, he speaks to people in so many different ways, and it's not the same way there's no formula there is a lot of guys who go to a church on the inside and stuff like that which is great but there is what i call Christians. they they believe in god but they don't go to church and if they find out you're a christian and know your bible pretty well they'll ask you questions about the bible and stuff like that which is great you know there's guys in there doing self-acting and they do think about god yeah, I, I know um, my time visiting inside prisons and stuff, I've seen uh, it's almost like every block has their own little Bible study and group of guys who are, are banding together, diving deep into their faith. It's really beautiful to see. But there's an edge to that. I guess the yeah. thing which I see again and again is Christianity well, not Christianity, the church fail, people fail, humanity fails when the guys come out. So can you tell me what it's like to try and engage with a faith community after you've been released? Oh, it's extremely difficult because you want to continue on with God because if you find God when you're inside, you want to continue on with that because you know it works for you. But it's so hard to find a church that just will accept you for the person who you come, not what you did. You do, we just don't want that judgment. We just want God, you know. We want forgiveness. We want to be part of a community. Yep. And But churches make that so difficult. Yeah, yeah. This is another really tough question. I'm not taking it easy on you today. Sorry, brother. But um, 
when you go into church or after release or you try and engage with a faith community and you feel that judgment, do you think that that is a product of your subconscious and what you've been through, which has had that sort of paranoia? Because you're always sort of on edge in prison. There's that, you know, <laughs> you don't you sleep with one eye open kind of thing, you know, you, you, you're kind of waiting for that next hit. But when you come out and you go into a church, how much of that do you think actually impacts so it's your perception opposed to the way people actually treat you? Yes, paranoia is a big thing because when you're released, your mindset is everyone knows when I don't actually know about what it does. Yeah. Because on the inside, your information gets leaked out to everyone. Everyone knows. No one cares after a while. So you carry that mat, that same mindset when you're released. You go, oh, everyone knows, everyone knows. You, you, you're worried about the next judgment or the next person who wants to have a go at you or something like that. When the reality is that people don't know and, and there is a handful of people out there who actually do care about you. Yeah. They want to help. Yeah, I can imagine it'd be really difficult even just having the courage to walk into a, a church or something if you feel like you've got a neon sign above your head which says, you know, ex-offender. That's not going to help at all. And and I guess society as well, because we're all about, unfortunately, with our government being hard on crime and tough on crime, you know, it's harder sentencing and all this sort of stuff, which we know doesn't work, but uh, we stick to it because that's where the votes are, you know, so so I guess... There's that mentality as well. And when those two things collide, it can be very, very difficult for someone to find a home or somewhere to belong. Yeah, it does. It takes a while to fit into a community and realise that people like you for who you are. Like, I go to different social pubs. They don't know a thing about my history, but they see the guy who I am and they love that guy. Yeah. 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 So how much work did you have to do on your own identity and acceptance of your identity as you, when, once you come out of prison? Uh, if you did it all, I could imagine that that'd be something which would be very helpful to work on. Well, put it this way. I've um, been out for almost five years and I still struggle with identity. Yeah. But there's so much I want to look at in with a deep within my heart and I I look at one issue, I deal with that issue in a special manner with psychologists. And once you sort of deal with that, another issue comes up. Yeah. And you deal with that, then a different memory might come up and you deal with that. You see you're constantly healing yourself, working on yourself, trying to find out who you are, what you want to be, where you can fit in. But taking your identity in prize, it's it's difficult because you don't have to prove yourself to God. You already know. Yeah, exactly, brother. He was right there with you, right? Yeah, he's with me the whole time on the inside. So he already knows. Yeah. And he's and but you say you used to be treated a certain way, and you think that God is like that when that's not so true. Yeah, I think um, 
sadly, if we would try and learn God's nature from people in church, we're, we're really going to miss the point, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, because God's nature is so much more incredible, so much more loving, so much more forgiving, so much, well, I want to say less judgmental, but that's not actually the case. The judgment comes, but it's different, you know? Yeah. It, it's a very difficult situation. And I, I used to see so many guys, even just who were, didn't look the part or a bit rough or whatever, find themselves that they didn't feel accepted by their faith community that they were trying to engage with. So having that, you know, being an ex-offender heading over your head and feeling that paranoia just must add another depth. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess um, I haven't checked for a while, but I know recidivism last time I checked was sitting around about 52% within two years. So what that means is 52% of people going back into prison within two years of release. That's a huge number. My question for you is, can you say recidivism? Because <laughs> I struggle with it. <laughs> yeah, nah, not happening with me. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's kind of like... There's there's this hemorrhage, this thing happening in society where we're not looking after the people who've messed up. And, and I guess the reality of it is, you know, we can't really judge. You know, all my time I've sat down opposite a table of people who've murderers and all sorts of things who've done things which are incredibly evil. Don't get me wrong, but the person was not evil. You know, and, and what usually the difference is between myself and them is a roll of the dice. If I was yeah. born into their circumstances or, or brought up the way they were, I might end up sitting there myself. Yeah. That's so true. It's only you're only one one bad decision away, and you just don't know someone's story. When you sit down and actually listen to our story, yeah, we understand that we've done the wrong thing, but you understand how it happened and why it happened, and you understand. If you actually sit down and talk to somebody who's been at the boat, you'll understand on how to help them and walk alongside them and look at ways we could change to make it work better. Yeah, I know. It's kind of like um, you get two sentences, right? You get the sentence through the legal system, which is three years, six years, whatever, of the time you have to do. But then there's like the sentence which follows you for pretty much all of your life and it's hard to shake yeah that ex-offender thing you know yeah yeah how how difficult yeah. is that to get a job or to get working you know w w when you do have a record oh it's extremely difficult to get a job when you've got a record which i think is just craziness because best thing for us is to be working so we can give back to the community and be a part of it. Yeah, well, type give it the purpose. Yeah, I think, like, in, again, in my experience, and this is just speaking for me, but the times I've worked with guys who have been ex offenders and stuff, they have been the most loyal and hard working, you know, guys at the, the job site, you know, that. They're guys who really respect and trust their boss who's kind of given them a crack and they'll back them 100%. Yeah. I don't see 
opposed to, I guess, drugs get in the way if there's addiction problems in there as well. But if you give someone a, a chance who's had a criminal record with a job, I think they become a very, very loyal employee. Yes, that's exactly right, especially if they've been given a second chance at life because that's what most of us want. We'll just want another chance, another go. Yes, we made a mistake, but we need to be able to learn from those mistakes and move on. Yeah. Uh, and getting a job is one of those things that is essential for life. We all got to work. We can't just sit around on the dog. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I guess it helps with one's self, self-esteem and self-image again, too, to have that job. You know, I, I have had times where I haven't been able to work due to my health and stuff. And man, that doesn't feel good. You know, when you, you're not bringing or contributing to the household sort of thing so much. Yeah. It's, I think it's very valuable to, to feel like you're contributing back to society in some way. And if you find the right job, you start finding parts of your identity again. Yes, yes, so true. Yeah. So another tough question. Just your average Joe. So the guy on the street, whatever around us, what do you think they can do to help reduce recidivism and the crime rates around? Well, the average Joe yeah. can just come and talk with us. Sometimes we just need someone to talk to, to vent to, not asking you to take on our problems. A lot of the time we just need someone to talk to. It's simple as that. Because you just never know if you talk to someone enough, you might be able to help them in a certain way. Yeah, and I'd say, is it fair to say that the best help anyone can give you is acceptance to make you feel part of community? So true. That is so true because acceptance is such a big thing. We need to be accepted back into the community. Otherwise, there's ways to get back in. Yeah, well, you know, isolation and, and loneliness is such a huge problem in today's society. And I guess doubly so if if you've done time. I guess that's why part of the reoffending thing for myself as well, which I see is... The opportunities which are given, if you don't feel that you're accepted back in the community, you're going to go back to hanging out with the people who do accept you, who are probably the guys who helped you get into prison in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> it becomes that vicious cycle. You know, if, if the only person who's going to talk to you are the, the other ex-cons or the, you know, the guys doing something a bit shady, you're probably going to go with it, right? That's right. If you... Can't make new friends, basically. You end up just going back to your old friends and doing the same shit again to get back in. Yeah, I see that with um, the cycle of people battling addiction. You know, they're, they're for the, they try their hardest, but because, again, they're, like, shunned by a lot of society and stuff for any genuine healthy connection, that they find themselves going back and living with other people with substance abuse, and they just take yeah. each other down. That's right. Yeah. That is so true. So ideally, when someone comes out, they basically need a new set of friends. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I'm, a good, I'm a good influence. So. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things which we spoke about earlier is, is the perception of you not fitting in to the reality of you not fitting in. 
Yeah. And and this isn't, again, sorry, mate, I'm not taking it easy on you, but, you know, um, I want to dive into this stuff a bit. But uh, discrimination, does it exist? Do you experience discrimination because of being an ex-offender? At times, it's a reality. I've been knocked back from things because I do have a history. Yeah. But a lot of it is like my what's stuck in my head is I don't try because I just automatically think, oh, yeah, that's not up next time we've got about this history. Of course. Or yeah. I'm not going to get this. I'm not going to be able to do that. Cool about this history. I don't even try sometimes. I didn't think I was gonna was gonna be able to do a lot of things because of my history, but then I found there's some departments like um, real estate that don't ask you about criminal history; they just want to make to pay your rent. Yeah, yeah. Doctors won't ask you about your criminal history unless you need to tell them, and sometimes they don't care because they just want to help you medically because that's their job. They just people that are quite professional yeah yeah uh, look i've i've known you for years myself and we've worked together and stuff but uh I, i've seen you grow so much in yourself and particularly in that identity and you're getting stronger in that identity of knowing who you are you know there's that paul tillich once a theologian once wrote a book called the courage to be you know, and that, that title, I just, I, I don't know, I've had it echoing through my head for a few days about the courage to accept your identity of who you actually are and then live that out. Yes. Now, identity is a really tough subject because it's a lot to do with accepting yourself. Yes. Yeah. And I found that really difficult because I didn't know who I was but as I found my identity I had to then accept that identity I yeah. know who I am, I know what I want it's just a matter of accepting it and realising that other people accept this identity and they like that guy Yeah, I do wonder for everyone, not just you know ex-offenders and stuff how many people we actually have in our circles who truly know who you are, you know, all the scars, all the warts, everything, and accept you for who you are? I think that the, the number would be pretty low. I know myself there's probably a handful. But, and and I'm, look, I'm stupid. I tell everyone everything. I don't, you know, I don't hide much. But um, really, there's very probably a small inner circle of people who truly know me. Other people have an idea of who I am, but that's not the reality. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and I guess well, a lot of the Christianity and a lot of with God, it's getting to know God, but God knows you, but you need to get to know yourself in the way that God sees you. And once you grasp that, everything else kind of just falls away, doesn't it? Yes, it's difficult to grasp it because in your head, obviously, you remind yourself of what you've done in the past. Yeah. And, okay, some people like to say the devil, but a lot of the time it's yourself that's doing it. Occasionally, it's just to remind you of what you've done because you still have legal requirements for what you do, but, yeah. but God yeah. accepts you. Yeah. 
yeah. you're part of his identity. Yeah. Yeah. It's um identity's such a big thing for everyone, you know, there's that line in uh, Plato's Apology I always quote the unexamined life isn't worth living, you know, and uh, there's something in that, but there's also the flip side of that's like a double-edged sword, you know, as you dive into the depths of, of those dark places in your soul and you get God in there and you cut out the stuff which shouldn't be there, that is a very painful experience. You know, you, you really want to do it with a trusted guide and trusted people around you to help support you as you find that identity and remove that stuff which shouldn't be there. I know the work you've been doing on that. And um, how would you say that's fair? Have you found that that can be quite a painful experience? Oh, it's a very painful experience. Because... Uh, when you search for your identity and start taking on the identity and trust, you find some genuine ugliness in your heart that needs to be dealt with and prayed for. Yeah, I always think that's, um, you know, to die to oneself, you know, is, is exactly that. Take on God's characteristics and, and, and what Christ is like and make that alive in us instead of the ugly stuff which sometimes resides there. Yeah. yeah. So, um, what's the future going to look like for you? Well, this is another thing I'm struggling with. I keep limiting myself. I look back over the last Almost four, five years now. I've uh, progressed so far and done so well with getting jobs, getting rentals, buying cars, and finding my identity, mixing with community. But I limit myself when I look at my future. I don't think I can achieve anymore. I think, oh, that's it. I've done everything. I can't do anymore. I can't do anymore. I don't know how this is going to look. I don't know what's going to happen now. Yep. I've got challenges ahead of me, and I just don't know how it's going to happen. But I've got to continue to remind myself that God has come true for me before. He can do it again. So if I do the practical steps of what I need to do, I'm going to have faith, trust in God that it'll come true for me again. Yeah. Yeah. And I was reminded the other day that I could still start my own business up in the future. Of course you can. Yeah. Yeah. I can't see that. I keep limiting myself. So it's like, okay, it may not happen, but why limit myself? Why limit my goals? Yeah. Well, I think that's not just, you know, yourself or people who've experienced uh, being an ex-offender and stuff. I think that's all of us, mate. We we tend to limit our future horizons, you know. We, for whatever reason, we put ourselves down. We're all our own worst critics, right? And the way that can manifest is us putting our goals short, you know. I always try and have this thing, this, you know, this image of something which is completely unattainable because I want to push to the extreme, if that makes sense, you know. Yeah, I, I have this image of myself in there which I push for, which will never be me or I can never actually achieve, but I want to give it everything I've got to try and get there, you know. Yeah. 
to think there was only one perfect guy and one perfect bloke on the world, you know, and we killed him. So, but we'll still do our best, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So another curveball for you. Poverty and crime seem to have an incredible crosshatch, like this this interconnection where it seems like poverty and crime have this very tight relationship. Do you see a lot of wealthy people in prison? Again? Do you see a lot of wealthy people in prison? Do you think that poverty has a direct relation to the crime rate? Not directly, because on the inside there is quite a few wealthy people that actually have to pay their own legal fees. They're not eligible for legal aid. Yeah. And it it costs tens of thousands of dollars for some of these cases. Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I'm sorry, it doesn't matter how much money you have, you can still end up behind bars. I don't think poverty is the primary cause of um, crime. And that's good. Going down the wrong rabbit hole here. Yeah, no, that's good because that's that you know it's one of the myths or which is out there is that poverty has a direct relation to crime. So someone who's been inside, that's really brilliant to be able to shine a light on that and say, well, no, that's BS. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's fascinating. Thank you. But when people do come out, looking at that fifty-two percent of recidivism, why is it you think? that people fail? What is the biggest thing which gets in their way and they end up going back inside? Feeling that there's no hope because it's such a struggle, such a battle. It's exhausting. We get tired and it's like, why, why? It was so easy on the inside in some ways. Yeah. Uh, At least we had a place to stay. We had meals, three meals a day. We didn't have to make constant decisions. We had our mates to talk to. Yeah. We had free psychology. Yeah. So I guess the flip side of that, what is the way to move forward where you're going to have the most success? What would you advise guys coming outside to look at or to do or how to approach things? If you could give him advice, what would it be? Keep pushing, keep trying. Don't give up too easily because there are genuine people who want to help. They just don't know how. So you just got to communicate with them a bit more. There is generous charities and churches out there that will help. You just got to keep searching, keep talking to people. Occasionally you'll run into from a good mate that was on the inside that could give you a bit of advice if they're the right person as well. Um, your parole officers, they're generally pretty good. There's, they can help you find support and stuff like that as well. Yeah, so the, don't be afraid to ask. There is that attitude out there that the parole office is the enemy, right? But I think that's changing a lot. Oh, yeah, that it used to be the case many years ago, but 
I was lucky enough to have three good, genuine parole officers and they're all very supportive of me. At the end of the day, my advice is if you treat parole officers with respect, they'll respect you back and they'll make life easy for you. But as soon as you start falling around and get your silence, they'll make your life hell for it. So that's how it works. Respect them and they'll respect you. Okay. One more piece of advice I want from you. So what advice or what would you give to someone who's looking at starting a career in law or criminology or corrections or in some way putting their life to changing the recidivism rates? Talk to the people who have been on the inside without judgment. Listen to their full story, not just after Ask the high-quality questions. Because if they trust you, they'll open up even more and you'll learn more. Yeah. Yeah, that's very good advice. And I, I, I don't know, I have a dream that, you know, one day, and I hope that things like this podcast will will in some way help this. It might be one drop in the ocean, but help change the perception of a lot of the social issues we've got, right? Where... I don't know, they, they seem too lofty or something, or they feel like they're someone else's responsibility or that the government's going to fix them. But it's up to every single individual, right, to, to change their mindset and to engage in a different way. We don't need the government, you know. We don't need all these resources. We can do it ourselves if only we change our mindset. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Because if the community understands that the majority of people who come out actually do want to change. Now, when I understand that, when we start working together, things will change. Yeah, and start giving them the opportunity to be more inclusive in community, no matter what your past, you know. And I, I think that's where everything starts to change and those new identities start to grow, you know. Run the fringe church for nine odd years and it was almost my favourite day when someone who was an ex-offender would call up and say, hey, I'm not coming, I'm not part of your church anymore. You know, I'm, I've found this other church, I'm accepted, I'm loved, I don't need you anymore, bugger off kind of thing. <laughs> it, it would always uh, really warm my heart to find that those guys were getting acceptance and getting loved in other church communities and other faith communities. They were always the best days. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, mate, I, I don't know if I've got anything else for you. Have you got anything else you'd like to, would you like to ask me something? Yeah, no. No, I've got nothing else to ask. Yeah, because I already know you. I know you're an idiot for doing what you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I've got one last question for you then, brother. What pissed you off this week? What pissed me off? Yeah. Is um, you want me to um, take everything <laughs> at the one step off? Further, by doing this interview. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, mate. If we're going to change things, we've got to talk about it, right? That's right. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's part of my role, mate, is what I do is I just tick everyone off. But, um, you know. Oh, no, there's. At the end of the day, we're still mates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot for your time, mate. Really do appreciate it. And I hope this gets out there and I hope people start listening. Start asking questions. And I guess start looking at the world in a different perspective where they can start making a difference. 
All right. Thanks a lot for your time, brother. No worries. Thank you.